Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you in here. For those of you watching online, a uh, big welcome to you. Glad that you are here as well. Uh, happy Sunday. Happy 4th of July to everybody. There's coffee over here if you need some. Just needs you know. Normally, people don't do that kind of, you know, kind of lackadaisical, mild responsiveness until I actually start preaching. But maybe it was just because I was up here, so I don't know. Uh, grateful that you're here. Grateful to live in this country, yeah? Man, what a, what a good thing and um, what a way that God has blessed us. There are brothers and sisters who are gathered all across the world today, celebrating the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and uh, they don't get to worship like we do. They don't get to worship as freely as we do. And so uh, we'll pray here in just a minute, but with a heart of gratitude, man, we just want to say, God, thanks for what an incredible uh, gift you've given us to, to be here and worship um, like this. Uh, you know, we can be a grateful people without glossing over any of the problems that we've had or any of the problems that we have. Um, and I think that's an important, uh, even a good uh, balance to strike. Man, we're a grateful people, and, and we still got some work to do. We still got some work to do around this joint? Yes, we do. Um, and in light of that, um, I, I just I want to calibrate us. Some of you grew up uh, in places, in churches where 4th of July Sunday, uh, it was uh, Lee Greenwood and flags and colors presentation and the whole thing. Um, uh, we, we don't do that here. Uh, primarily, we, we don't do that here and on purpose because we're kingdom first people. And we recognize that the hope of our nation um, is in the church being the church, like it's a kingdom first uh, mentality. We are citizens of this country, uh, but we also are citizens of a, of a country that is yet to come. And, and that, that is our, our first allegiance. And when we keep that first, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, the rest of it happens after that. So just for clarity's sake, um, it, it, um, it doesn't matter as much uh, who's in a White House and what they're doing it matters a lot more who's in the church house and what we're doing. And that, that's, that's who we want to be and what we want uh, to be focused on. So in light of that, I just want to call us to a time of prayer. We're going to open up our Bibles uh, and, and uh, jump into the Word of God so that we can be the church that God wants us to be. And um, then we'll um, celebrate communion and um, sing a song. And that's, that's kind of the rest of the morning together. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that we are in this place and um, getting to worship as freely as we do. We recognize, again, that there are brothers and sisters across the world today who do not have this. Some from a jail cell are, are whispering uh, songs of praise and gratitude and uh, setting their prayers before you, reciting from memory um, whatever scripture they can to buoy their souls and to help them float in the middle of uh, all the chaos that is their world. Uh, so, some are gathered in different places, uh, more hidden than others, some more freely than others. Uh, we, God, are enjoying this moment. And what we want to do, and I want to just simply recognize this, and on behalf of all of us, Father, I just want to say, um, God, we receive this with great gratitude, and we also feel the call, and the weight, the responsibility to be good stewards of what you've blessed us with here. To whom much is given, much is required. And so we, we want to be good stewards of that. Uh, help us to live in the kind of gratitude and celebrate appropriately. Keep us oriented 
uh, toward the kingdom. Help our hope, full hope, to be in you. Politicians come and go, systems rise and fall. God, you, you don't. You are a living hope. So um, we commit that to you. Please open up your word to us now and open up us to your word so that you can put into us the things that we need in order for us to be the people you want us to be. We love you. Thank you for Jesus most of all who makes it all worthwhile. And we pray in his name. Everybody said amen and amen and amen. If you have a Bible, Second Corinthians chapter 5. If you uh, don't have a Bible and you want a book in front of you, there's some on the sides of the tech booth here. If you are a user of the Bible app, please feel free to open up that app and find our live event. Uh, there are um, communication cards in the seat backs in front of you there. Uh, if you have anything uh, that you want to give to us, prayer requests. If you're a guest with us and we just want to register, hey, I was here. Uh, if you're watching online, you can, any of the platforms that you're watching on should allow you to leave a comment there. You can always send an email uh, as well to info at Heritage Park. We'd just love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Uh, let me tell you, uh, the next few weeks together, um, what I sense, uh, what the Spirit wants to do for us as a church family is just to recalibrate us coming out of all of that we have come out of over the past 16, 18 months, however long you've been counting. Um, it's just to remind us of who God has called us as a church family um, to be. Uh, we, so th- this is how I try to explain this. Um, I have unique gifts, uh, passions, Um, I have unique personality, um, things that have been experiences in my life, um, and they're different than yours. And you don't have to be me. Are you glad for that? Yes, yes, say amen again. Uh, And I don't have to be you. Amen, is what I'm saying. So, uh, and and furthermore, furthermore, um, we as a church family have unique experiences and gifts and uh, passions in, in and among our church family that make us us. Um, and, and they're different than the church down the street. Jesus put the church down the street so that the church down the street could do church down the street stuff. Yes. He put us here so we could do us stuff. And so, um, this, this month, this next four weeks is really about us stuff. And, uh, just as a reminder, we'll, I'll read the scripture in just a second, but just as a reminder, the, the DNA, this is how we talk about it. The DNA that God has built, um, into us as a church family, it looks a little bit like this, these five strands of DNA represented by these five figures. We've had a lot of, uh, water under the bridge since we've talked about this. So if you've forgotten them, that's okay. We've, you know, faced a pandemic and a few things, but, um, first of all, gospel transformation that we are changed by the good news that Jesus has died. He is risen and he is alive today. And one day coming back to make everything right. We are changed by that fact. And it is not a momentary change that we walk away from, that we move on from, that this is the thing into which we dive. And the deeper we dive into that truth, into that reality, into that beautiful thing, the more we are changed. So we don't, we don't move on from it. We go deeper into it. And the deeper we go into it, the more we are transformed from the inside out. Gospel transformation. Secondly, that we are a people who are saturated with the scriptures. We believe the Bible. We want to live the Bible. We don't understand it all necessarily, but man, we're committed to it. And uh, we want to saturate our lives with it. Such that if, if uh, like a sponge, we just get soaked up. And uh, when we get squeezed, what comes out? Bible. Did anybody get squeezed this week? Yeah, a couple of you. And the rest of you are lying. So that's cool. We'll talk about truthfulness in a different sermon. We're just saturated with the scripture such that when, we, when, when our glass is full and when we get bumped, that, that's what spills out of us. Uh, thirdly, that uh, church is family. 
We are not primarily an organization. We do have some organizational things that are true about us, but we are primarily a family. Now, we've got a couple crazy uncles. We've got that one aunt. I mean, like, we've got those people. If you're not sure who they are, they might be you. Uh, we have a couple of those. It's true. Um, but our primary commitment is to one another as family. We, we embrace one another. We, we encourage one another. Um, we bless one another. We pray for one another. We stick with one another because we're family. And for some of you, this is the only family you got. And I, you know what I say to that? Amen. Like, this, this is what God has designed the church to be, is to be family. Uh, fourthly, neighbor is a verb. You think you live next to neighbors, but we talk about it differently. Um, the, the neighbor that uh, is the person that we make a neighbor of, that, that we choose to love as ourselves. That, that's what it means. Neighbor is a verb. And lastly, ready to launch, meaning, tip of the hat to all you NASA folks, um, every week we try to fuel you up and put you out on the launch pad so that when that alarm clock goes off on Monday and it's three, two, one, blast off, you launch into Monday um, ready to make an impact like Jesus wants you to make. And we not only launch into Mondays, uh, we launch into ministry. We um, send college students off um, to uh, campuses and we send folks out to plant churches and we send you into different places to do the ministry that God has given you to do. We ready people to launch. So that, that's kind of who we are, who he's made us to be. If we could uh, kind of put this in a sentence and this will actually frame out our July, it would look something like this, that we are a family of missionaries. That's us who live to pursue God, love well, and serve the world. Those three things. And it's those ca- all cap uh, phrases that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. But we are a family of missionaries who live, who live. Because this is a life. It's not a momentary commitment. It's a life. Who live to pursue God, to love well, and to serve the world. So in light of that, uh, we're going to take up that first phrase today, family of missionaries. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, he says, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him who knew no sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to give you three uh, kind of words today to frame out this, this whole idea of a family of missionaries. And the first one is the word mindset. Mindset. Um, and uh, what you'll see on the screen here, I'll try to explain in just a second. But I want to put our mindset, uh, I, I, I mean, I quite literally want to set our minds on two very important truths that is true of every person who is sitting in your row, that you'll go to eat lunch with, that you'll see on the road. It'll be true of the guy who cuts you off on the Gulf Freeway that you, you know, want to greet and help, I'm sure, at some point. It'll be true of all of those people, every one of them. Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world. He gets done with the world, and he's like... Man, we need some people to populate this place. So he creates man and woman, and he says of them that they are made in his very image. 
How unbelievably wonderful and amazing is that? We are made in God's image. We are designed to reflect the goodness and the truthfulness and the beauty and the holiness of God to the world around us. And everybody, everybody. I mean, just think about the statement of value that puts on your life. In the midst of anxiety, in the midst of um, chaos, in the midst of being upset, in the midst of all of this other crazy. Think about how that sets value on your life. You are made in God's image. And the person who lives next door to you with the yippee dog that was up all night because of the fireworks last night because they, fi- they fired off fireworks on the third instead of the fourth because they're confused. I don't know what's going on. Oh, that was just me, wasn't it? It's cool. They are made in God's image. They are made in God's image. So that's Genesis chapter 1. Hold on to that. Every person that we encounter has a value spoken over their life that they are made in God's image. Genesis chapter 3 comes along and the people who are made in God's image, made in God's image really screw some things up. They listen to the voice of the serpent instead of the voice of the Lord. They hide in their shame, and they are now at a point where they are um, desperately in need of rescue. And guess what? Every person you encounter is in desperate need of rescue. Those two things are absolutely true of every person on the planet. So, the, minds, the set of our minds and the mindset I want to set before you reflected here um, on the screen, also reflected in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we recognize or we regard no one according to the flesh. This stuff, this, our bodies. What is he saying here? That the people, that the primary need that we need to see and the primary way that we need to view people is through these spiritual eyes to say, they're, they're, what is true of them is they are unbelievably valuable before God made it in his image and unbelievably broken and in desperate need of rescue. Those two things are true at the same time. And it's their need for rescue um, that defines them. It is not their human description that, that defines them. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though Paul says, look, we knew what Jesus looked like. We knew what he looked like, but that's not how we think about him now. We think about him as the crucified, risen, crucified, resurrected, exalted Lord who's one day going to return. That's how we think about, that's how we think about Jesus. So because Paul didn't even think about Jesus that way, uh, the invitation for us is this to to put kind of the need for rescue above any human description. In other words, um, where they live, let me make a sentence and I'll give you some examples. There is no measurement or no characteristic that disqualifies anyone from their need for rescue. Where they live, who their parents are, what they look like, what they sound like, um, how they got here, how they make their money, how much they make, whatever. No person, no person that you or I will encounter, no human description disqualifies them from the two things that Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 teaches us. They are made in God's image and valuable before him. And they are desperately broken and in need of rescue. That need for rescue is also greater than their depravity. Not just their physical description, what they look like or where they work. But their need for rescue is also greater than their depravity. I'm not sure depravity is a word that you use this week. Um, but I invite you to re-employ it in your, 
vocabulary because it's a good word. Like, because it's true of everybody who's this tall and everybody who's this tall. Our depravity expresses itself in any number of ways, and some of those depraved ways, some of, some of that depravity comes out in ways that I'm okay with, and some of that comes out in ways that really upset me. The, the, the challenge is, of course, is that I may not like your depravity. Now, God's not near as mad about my depravity as he is about your depravity. I'm sure of that. What's true is that I am made in God's image and valuable before him, and I am in desperate need of rescue. What's true of you and your depravity is that you are made in God's image and in desperate need of rescue. And so no matter how that depravity expresses itself um, uh, in the ways that we are okay with or comfortable with or whatever, um, or dismissive of, or the ways that we really despise, we're all made in God's image and in need of rescue. we've talked about this before and I just want to remind us because we are a family of missionaries who are going going to talk more about what that of missionaries parts look like here in just a second. But just, just a reminder, um, when I don't like the, your version of brokenness, your version of depravity, your version of need of rescue, um, I tend to see you as a bad person. And when I see you as a bad person, that invites my judgment. What I need to do is see you as a broken person. Because, A, you are, and, 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 and B, I am too. And when I see you as broken, that invites my compassion. Which do you think God wants more? Not bad, broken. Not judgment, compassion. <clears throat> I will say here, and just as a parenthesis here, there's, there's no need to diminish that need for rescue. Uh, some of us focus on Genesis 1, you're so valuable before God. I'm sure he just pats you on the back and goes, oh, we'll try again tomorrow. No need to diminish their, their need for rescue. Genesis 3 is a real story, and it really messes people up. How many, people, how, many, how many examples do you have in your life of people who have stuck it in the ditch, my man? I mean, they have just made hash out of their lives because of their brokenness. And so for you to go, oh, it's okay, it'll be fine. And it's not okay, and it's not fine. No need to diminish that brokenness. No need to dis- be dismissive of it. Their need is very real, and it is, their, it is their greatest need. So both of those things are true. Created in God's image and valuable for him, that's a mindset thing. And, and in desperate need of rescue. So with that in mind, uh, I actually want to work the passage backwards here. Um, look at the end of verse 19. Well, I'll read the whole thing in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So there is a message that you and I get to carry. There, there is a message that you and I get to step forward in. There is a message that you and I, uh, when we walk out into the world and we head to our jobs and we go to the plants and we um, you know, go to the soccer field and we go to Kroger or wherever you do your shopping, when we step out into the... We get to be people who carry this message. God has entrusted you with this message. I'm not a very good message carrier. Yeah, we get it. We understand. Paul gets it too, but he has still entrusted it to you. And so we want to be very faithful in in, um, the message that we carry. He describes it here. And again, I'm just going to work the passage backwards. Um, It it makes more sense to me this way. Let's start here. The, The very first thing about this message, it is a message of forgiveness. Did you see it in verse 19? In Christ, God was reconciling the world to itself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
This is a message of forgiveness. In our day and in our age, if you've heard the phrase, if you've heard the phrase cancel culture, in our day and in our age, man, you mess up once on social media, it's all piled on, man. You get toast and you fired and blah, 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 all your friends forget that you even existed, all that kind of stuff. How different does the church get to live as brokers of forgiveness? We are people who have received profound forgiveness. He has not counted our trespasses against us. And therefore, you and I, we get to be a part of communicating that message to the world. We get to live as a forgiven people. We get to speak as a forgiven people. And we get to forgive others when we have the opportunity to do so. That is so foreign to the world in which we live. But man, what, a, what an invitation. What an invitation to live as a forgiven person. And what security comes with that? That knowing that the God of the universe has spoken over us. I am not counting your trespasses against you. Maybe a little bit more familiar if you grew up around church. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. None. It's an invitation uh, to forgiveness. Secondly, um, it is an invitation uh, to be reconciled to a reconciled uh, life in verse 18. All of this, all of this stuff he's talked about so far is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciled, again, may not be a word that you use this week. If you did, if you're an accountant or something, possibly in that, uh, in, in kind of that uh, area, of, uh, of society, you may have thought about, okay, here's a bank statement and here's a checkbook and I need to reconcile these two things. This is not that. This is not a math word. No, no amens there. I thought maybe, just maybe, I'd catch an amen or two from you non-math people. This is not a math word. This is a, a relational word. Reconcile. There, there's something between us. And, and God has seen fit to remove that something so that you and I can be brought to him. We're not only, it's not just the thing between us was removed, but he has brought us, drew, he has drawn us near. He has brought us to himself, reconciled. Think about that. The God of the universe, with all of your junk and with all of your stuff, and with all your problems and with all your challenges and with all the things that are facing you right now, all of your ailments, all of your struggles, all of the relationship stuff that's in your world, all of the uncertainty, all of the places where you doubt, all of the places where you're like, ah, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. All of those moments. God doesn't count those against you. He brings you to himself, reconciled. It's an invitation to a reconciled life. Thirdly, it's an, it's an invitation to a, a new life. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new it's a new creation. Not like, hey, here's a thing and let's put some paint on it. Oh, look, it's new. It's not that. Mm-mm. He's a, new, a completely new creation. The old has passed away. They kicked that stuff out, man. The new has come. And so it's an invitation to a new life. It's an invitation to a new life. You're not just like holding on 
in your old life until you can get to heaven. You get to live a new life today. And that is the promise for anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Today you can have a new life. A life marked by forgiveness. A, mar- a life marked by reconciliation with God. You and I get to be a part of a new life. When we talked earlier about gospel transformation, this is what we're talking about. It's not just, you know, fixing up something old and being like, eh, that'll probably be good enough. I think that'll sell. It's not that. It's a whole new life. That's what he invites you to. And this is the message that we get to carry um, to the world around us. This is the message when we're sitting there sweating our eyeballs out at the baseball field. And we're sitting next to the person who's also sweating. This is the message that we get to invite them to. Invite them to forgiveness. Invite them to be reconciled. Invite them to new life. New life. That's, that's what he's talking about here. And then here's what I don't want to do. I don't want us to miss all of these pronouns in here because they're, they're first person plural. That's really important. When I, It'll be a little bit annoying when I read this, but just track along with me, okay? Verse 17, uh, excuse me, verse 16. From now on, uh, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regarding this no longer. Skip down to verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and give us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, but entrusting to us the, me- uh, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And he just keeps going. First person plural, first person plural, first person plural. When we talk about church as family, this is what we're talking about. The message that we get to carry forward is an invitation to belonging. In our world of fragmentation and of frustration and relational disconnect and discord, listen, we get to be people who invite people to belong somewhere. They may not look like us right now. They may not act like us right now. But it may just be magnetic enough. The idea that they can belong somewhere may be just magnetic enough um, for them to be in conversation and be in relationship with those around. And God uses that presence just because they're in the moment with us, they belong. God may use that as the bridge to bring them to the truth of Jesus. It's an, it's an invitation to belonging. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know if this is a place for me to belong. Listen, we're not perfect. Again, we got a couple of crazy aunts and, you know, there's an uncle. And, I mean, we're like, we, church is family. Family is the place to belong. And this is what God is inviting us to. He doesn't just create a new person. He creates a whole new people. That's us. Church is family. Uh, and, and lastly, under this message, I just want to remind us that all, all of this, it's only possible because of Jesus. Down in verse 21, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, the old German reformer Martin Luther, he called this the great exchange. Here's Jesus, perfect, righteous, holy, sinless. Here's me, none of those things. Here's you, none of those things. Here's all of us, none of those things. And he takes all of our junk, all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, all of our ugliness, all of the brokenness that's in our world, and he grabs it and he transfers it onto Jesus. 
He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And he doesn't just leave us empty over here. He then takes the true goodness of who God is in Jesus Christ, that righteousness, and he grabs that and he sets it onto us. What a, what a deal. All of this stuff that was for me is now transferred to Jesus. All of this stuff that is for him is now mine. Such that when God looks at me, he's looking through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus for you and for me. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That in him, you don't get it anywhere else, folks. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. We might have the true, the genuine goodness of God unleashed in our lives that transforms us forever. Only possible because of Jesus. The message that we carry forth isn't tomorrow, you can have a better life. The message that we carry forward is not, hey, listen, uh, I, I got three things for you. And if you follow these three things, you're, you'll be in good. The, the message that we carry forward is God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And he has done so by taking all of the junk and putting it on Jesus and taking all of the goodness and giving it to me. What in the world what kind of message is that? It's the message of the good news of Jesus. That's the message. It's only possible because of him. So we are a family of missionaries. We have a message that we get to carry forward. And I, I just, I, I don't want to run away, just r- real quick. Um, in our day and in our age, again, we can be very fragmented. Some of you think very differently than me. Some of you have voted differently than me. Some of you look different than me. Some of you have done any number of things different than me. You people over here, y'all are different than those folks over there. I promise you. I mean, just look at them over there. They're, they're, But in Jesus, we have far more that brings us together than pulls us apart. So we are a family of missionaries. We are a family of missionaries. And what has made us family is the blood of Jesus. We have a father, common father, our father, the one who's in the heavens, whose name is hallowed. Last thing, because we're a family of missionaries, we're on assignment. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're on assignment. We are ambassadors, meaning we have the authority to speak and to act on God's behalf. You're stepping into your work situation. You're stepping into vacation. I hope you get some vacation this summer. You're stepping into uh, sports places. You're stepping into kids' moments. You're stepping into birthday parties. You're stepping into any number of things. You have the authority to speak and to act. Why? Because you're ambassadors for Christ. We're a family of missionaries, and we carry that with us. The, The authority isn't in you. God has given it to us. The authority isn't in what I have to say. The authority is in what God has already said that he wants to say through me. Ambassadors. We have the authority um, to speak and and to act. Um, There is no message. 
that previous stuff we talked about, there is none of that without mission. Like those two things are intertwined. Furthermore, like if you want to know if you really get it, my question would be, do you really share it? Like those two things go together. The message that we have been given and the mission that we have been given cannot be separated. They're together. Leslie Nubigan spent uh, 40 or 50 years in, um, in India as a missionary, came back, wrote some stuff. Uh, this is one of the things that he said. There is no participation in Christ without participation in his mission to the world. You want to know if you get it, are you sharing it? There's no participation in Christ without participation in his mission to the world. That by which the church receives its existence, the gospel, um, is that by which it is also given its world mission. The gospel brings us in and then it sends us out. That's what he's saying. As the Father has sent me, so even I send you. It's important to say here, you and I, we've been given the authority to speak and to act. And one of the measures of whether or not we understand the good news of Jesus is how much and how well and how often um, we're out sharing it as ambassadors. Um, Sometimes we need a little bit of motivation. I'm just going to rattle these off here. Um, Sometimes we need a little bit of extra oomph, a little extra motivation. Our motivation comes from Jesus. And I want to say these, these three things. Look back in verse 9. Uh, we make it our aim to please him, is what he says in verse 9. So we can live to please our king, Jesus. Sometimes, though, I want to please me and not him. So one of the things that might motivate, might motivate us sometimes is to keep his rewards in view. We must all, verse 10, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, there to give an account for our lives and receive a reward for the same. So sometimes... We need a little bit of extra incentive. And then sometimes we're like, eh, I don't know. And this last one, that we know the fear of the Lord. And we just, we just know that he's the king and we're not. And we need to do what he says. Sometimes that, that's as base of motivation as we can get to, but it's exactly what we need. Okay, that's fine. But we still have the opportunity to speak and act on his behalf. We are a family of missionaries. A family of missionaries sent out to speak and act on his behalf. And the, the, the speaking and acting part is, he, he says here at the end of verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal. That's the second word I want you to hang on to. Appeal through us. So we're not arguing. It's not God making his argument through us. It's an appeal. It's not, hey, come here, let me tell you all of your... It's not that. It's an appeal. And appeal is used in the English language two different ways. Uh, uh, one is attraction. Gosh, I find that appealing. Uh, the, the other is plea. I'm pleading with you. I'm making my appeal to you. Both of those things are true. A life that is matched with the truth of the Bible is a life that is magnetic. Not to everybody, that's true. Some people will live in their darkness and that will be how it is. But a life um, that, that, that brings its... Uh, uh, life in line, where it brings its existence, its actions, its thoughts, its, its, uh, uh, um, the ways that it speaks, a life that brings that in line with the scriptures, that is truly transformed by the gospel. That is magnetic to a lot of people. It's appealing. But also, that's the attraction side, but also it's a plea. We don't, we don't have to argue with people. We just get to say what we know to be true. 
In John 9, famous story, famous line from a hymn too. In John 9, a blind guy gets healed and he gets called before the authorities. And they're like, ah, tell us what happened. And he's like, uh, actually, I don't know. I, like, I, w- I was blind and now I see. That's my testimony. That's not an argument. That's an appeal. That's a plea. That, that's, what we, that's what we get to make. Um, it, it's true. Uh, there will be people who may not be ready for it. They may, you, you may face some blowback. That's all true. Um, but I just, we get to be people who plead with people to put their trust in Jesus. The message of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of a new life, of a place for belonging. That's what, that's what we're inviting people to. And it's only true because of Jesus. La- last thing. Some of you have gotten that and you've lived as a missionary or a part of a family of missionaries in your family with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents or whatever for a long time. And you think to yourself, yeah, thanks for that. I'm not sure it's actually working in so-and-so's life. I mean, it doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to go. Nothing seems to stick. Here's what I want to plead with you in this moment. Don't you for a moment give up hope. Don't do it. Some of us have been praying uh, right before the pandemic hit. We were in this uh, initiative called Who's Your One? And we prayed and prayed and prayed for a year plus for these people who don't know Jesus. And, and for some of us, we haven't seen any progress yet. Don't give up hope. Some of you haven't been praying for a year. You've been praying for decades for the same person. Don't give up hope. Some of you think to yourself, oh, that person over there, they're never going to come to faith in Christ. Never, never. Not going to happen. Don't give up hope. The guy who wrote this, his name's Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was a persecutor of the church, a blasphemer, somebody who was anti-Christ. One day he's riding along the road. God knocked him off his donkey. Every so often, just about the time we're ready to give up hope, God will knock somebody off their donkey. And they'll need a voice there to say, let me tell you about what just happened. Don't give up hope. We're going to come to a time of communion precisely because we are a people of hope, a family of missionaries. What has made us family? The gospel. The good news that Jesus has died. He has risen, and one day he will return to make it right. What makes us missionaries? The gospel. The good news that Jesus has died, and he has risen. Ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day is going to return and make it right. So I'm going to invite all of you uh, to close up, uh, whatever you need to close up, and just give yourself a moment here um, to settle in. Take a moment, and if you need to bow your head and pray, Maybe do some business with God where you are. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, you want to say some things to God, please go ahead. Say them to him right now. The good news is when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just take a moment. Put yourself before the Lord now and ready yourself for communion.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed before he went to the cross. He had his followers in a room and he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat. And remember that. And honestly, they didn't know. They had no idea what was going on. They're clueless like some of us. A little slow to pick it up. But the next day, when they pulled the broken body of Jesus down from the cross, pierced, busted, messed up, beaten, brutalized, they understood. Broken. They got it. It's gory. It's terrible. It's dark. But it, yet it's through that brokenness that God brings wholeness to you and to me. The sin that was ours, that was placed on Jesus, required that kind of punishment so that his righteousness could be given to us. Next, he took a cup of, and he, he passed it around and he said, this is, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. And when he did so, again, they're thinking, covenant, covenant, I've heard this before. People used to go to a place and have a moment, just one day, where a sacrifice was made. I'm going to bring something to God to make things right. Jesus was saying, I'm bringing something to God to make you right. That's what he's saying. So we relate to God, not on the basis of something that we can do. Even with all of our collective wills and collective efforts, we couldn't do what needed to be done. Jesus had to do it for us. And we today are brokers, receivers first of forgiveness, but brokers of forgiveness because of what he has done. So let me pray for us and we'll celebrate communion together. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to remember. We're transformed by the good news of Jesus. The one who came, who lived perfectly, who died sacrificially, who rose victoriously, and one day will return so that we can all be made fully right. And the whole world will be made fully right. Thank you for that. We come to this moment to celebrate, to remember, and to be shaped by this. So make it fresh for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to participate with us. If you haven't figured out the mechanics here, there's a little thin strip on top. You can get the wafer. Let's eat. Let's remember. This juice represents the blood of Jesus, forgiven by which we have forgiveness. Let's drink and let's remember. Amen and amen.